0: Welcome to the Atlas Leadership Podcast. I'm Angela Schlottman.
1: And I'm David Johnson. Our goal is to connect you each week with other experienced leaders who share a passion to see our communities thrive.
0: So as you navigate these times of disruption, we hope that our time together will inspire and inform you for your journey ahead.
1: Angela, we're super excited to have another trusted and experienced guest here with us this morning, Tony Marciano. Uh, Welcome to the Atlas Leadership Podcast. Angela, tell us a little bit about Tony.
0: So I've had the pleasure of knowing Tony for probably over six years now, and uh, we've had the opportunity to work together on a variety of 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 efforts as as partners in the community, but also in the sphere of nonprofit leadership. And uh, just so you know a little bit about Tony, he has been the um, the CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission since 1996, and um, before that he was the executive director of the um, Central Union Mission in DC. But actually started as a pastor um, of three different churches in New Jersey before he transitioned into serving the homeless um, the homeless ministry area. And just really has a heart for serving, has a heart for people, and has a heart for this community. And so grateful to have him uh, today join us and can't wait to hear some of the nuggets of wisdom he's going to share with us.
2: Angela, David, thank you for having me on this podcast.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a joy to have you, Tony. And before we go any further, can you just tell us, I mean, you've been at the rescue mission since 1996. Tell us what's going on here. What uh, What is the mission, and how many people do you serve? And just kind of paint a picture for all the great things that are happening here.
2: You know, when people hear the name of a rescue mission, there's a stereotype, and they think of it as a shelter. People who struggle with homelessness sleep there overnight, and rescue missions are historically Christian across the country. Um, but in 1990, and we were founded in 1938, I need to go back, and and we did things that Rescue Missions did. In fact, one of our founders was the father of evangelist Billy Graham and nine other Christian businessmen. And from 1938 to 1990, we did things that Rescue Missions did. We fed, we sheltered, we clothed people struggling with homelessness. But We saw them walking through our doors and struggling with addiction. And in 1990, we decided to change our entire model of ministry. We would solely focus on addiction, but what we would do is do something that's unprecedented, we would provide professional clinical substance abuse recovery services and identify the higher power that's talked about in the aa model as jesus christ both of those don't exist because secular treatment programs will provide clinical substance abuse counseling but don't identify the higher power many christian ministries that work in this space don't look at the need for clinical counseling And, you know, we take our marching orders from a number of different places in Scripture. One is 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where the Apostle Paul says that your spirit, soul, and body may be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says we're physical, we're emotional, we're spiritual. You know, if I didn't get a good night's sleep last night, I'm going to be cranky on you today. That is not rebellion to God. That is not unforgiveness. That's just a lack of sleep. Okay? So we're body, mind, and spirit. But the other side of it is... We take our other marching orders from John chapter six. Um, Most people, when they think of compassion ministry, they think of Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. As you did this unto the least of these, my brethren, you did this unto me. Well, I like to say Charlotte Rescue Mission is different, and we run to John six. And John six is two days in the life of Jesus. And on day one, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. But as you get further into the chapter, um, that night, the disciples float across the lake. Later, Jesus walks across the lake, and the crowd, the next day, realizing they're gone, find some boats and go across the lake for day two of food. And Jesus chooses not to feed them on day two. And I always like to say this in churches, and the whole congregation gasps, when I'll say, if the Son of God doesn't feed the same crowd two days back to back, Our soup kitchens biblical. And I've watched churches go, how can you say that? And I go, well, I didn't say it. I'm just showing you what's in scripture. But as you go through almost to verse 66, they're all gone. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, are you going to leave too? And he says, who else has the words to return to life? Unpack that. And I think what God is saying is on day one, I love you so much. I accept you just as you are. We are called to feed, shelter, and clothe the poor. So don't write me a, a nasty email. But on day two, God says, I'd love you too much to leave you there. And that's the hard work of transformation. I think it's so easy as Christ followers to do day one work because it makes us feel good. We're handing somebody a sandwich or giving them a, a bottle of water on a hot summer day. But the day two work is hard work. And that's a journey and that's a process. So, David, if, if um, let's see, you and Angela, some others from the church, come down and serve a meal, the pastor can flash that on the screen. Wonderful. The next week, you decide to mentor a resident at the rescue mission, and we put on the screen. The following week, you're at the mission, and we put you and the same guy on the screen. After the third week, the pastor gets an ugly email that says, we've seen David for three weeks in a row. We're not inspired. What else is going on? But, David, what you're doing is you moved into the realm, the doctrine, can I say, of sanctification. You know, justification is Romans 1 to 5, where we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, Savior and Lord, Romans 6, 7, and 8 talks about this whole idea of sanctification. And if justification addresses what we did, I robbed a convenience store, sanctification wants to ask a different question. Why do we do what we do? And if $50 cash in your pocket or an ATM card is a trigger for relapse, I need to know why those things are a trigger for relapse, or I can't keep the pain and sober. There's only two verses I know in the Bible that say, for this is the will of God. They're both in 1 Thessalonians. 5.18 says, rejoice in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But the other one is slightly before than 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It doesn't say your justification. It says your sanctification. So if you back that into John 6, the heart of God is not just to birth people into the kingdom of God but allow them to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. So I keep saying here at the Rescue Mission that everything we do is about character issues. And I said this just recently at a chapel service, that I've never given you a laundry list of do's and don'ts of how to live the Christian life. Because if I can get your character right, then everything else follows. So we focus on individuals struggling with addiction and work from the inside out, to address the root cause, to return them, ultimately as contributing members of society.
0: And you guys do that. You have both the Rebound program and Dove's Nest, right? That Tell is us correct. a little bit about maybe the numbers of clients. Both there.
2: of them are 130 days long, 10 days as we call new beginnings, or we used to call it pre-program where you come in and, and sometimes after a few meals, somebody doesn't want to stick around, you know. Um, I talked about working from the inside out, and for an addict, that inside brokenness is something called shame. You know, guilt is that I've done something wrong, and God in Christ forgives me for that. But shame says I am wrong. I'm defective. If you knew me, you wouldn't like me. If God knew me, God wouldn't like me. And so after a couple days of a couple square meals and a good night's sleep, suddenly all this sense of shame is rising up in you, and it feels really horrible. And the easiest way to get rid of those feelings is go drink and drug again. So you have the 10 days of New Beginnings, both at Rebound for Men and Dev's Nest for Women, and then you have 120 days of Clinical Substance Abuse Counseling. A lot of people go to 30-day programs, but in 30 days, the frontal lobes of the brain are just clearing out. You literally walk out of a fog, have no idea what you've done. The family has probably spent $50,000, and you relapse three days later. And so I find that things are just beginning to make sense around day 65, day 85, where they're going, oh, I get it. But we have to deal with a core issue of shame. So those are the two core programs that we have.
0: So I know in addition to the Doves Nest program and the Rebound program, you all recently started the Community Matters Cafe, which as an aside, it's one of my favorite places to visit in the area um, just for food and beverages. But tell us a little bit about that program and how it works with the broader framework of the Charlotte Rescue Mission.
2: We know that the people we serve at Charlotte Rescue Mission started drinking at ages 10, 11, and 12. Probably started drugging around ages 12, 13, and 14. And so we know that when you start abusing drugs and alcohol, you stop maturing. So we have a building full of 35 and 40-year-olds that are emotionally 10, 11, and 12 year old. And what 10, 11, and 12-year-olds wants to show up for work, on time, manage your finances, work with a supervisor, go to A meetings, go to church. What do 12-year-olds want to do? They want to play. They want to be irresponsible. And so when they started drinking and drugging, they learned immaturity. They're not bad people. And from that point until they walked through the doors of the rescue mission, they learned how to survive, not to thrive. And so we started Community Matters Cafe as an extension of both Rebound and Dove's Nest to learn those life skills they should have learned beginning at ages 12 and up, but they never learned just because of the insanity of where they grew up to help them become all that God created them to be. So Angela, when you come and you get your cup of coffee, you come and have that meeting and have lunch with somebody there, they're having to interact with you. And that's hard because an addict doesn't want to look you in the eye because of the shame in their soul. They're going to get their order wrong. And the tendency is for someone to just go fine and throw the paper at you and walk out the door and relapse. And so we're having to teach them how to live life on life's terms. And what they learn in the cafe is real life so that when they fully graduate from the rescue mission, they've already lived the life that we want them to live, but they've done it under the safety of Community Matters Cafe.
0: So I'm going to pivot for a second here. Um, I've always found working, particularly in the nonprofit sector, a difficult balance to strike. And and in that I mean there is this push where you need Money because you need to keep the doors open, you need to keep the lights on, you need to pay your staff. And so there's this big urgency to do that. Yet you have this large group of people in front of you, your clients, your residents that you're caring for, and trying to find that balance as staff, as a team to do the necessities to keep the doors open, but also care well for people. It's hard. Now, I know that um, the rescue mission is a little bit larger and, and you, have, you have a great, uh, great deal of, of staff that are just amazing and great at what they do, but I know you've worked with other nonprofits over the years that are smaller. What advice do you give to that, that nonprofit staff person or board member or leader that is trying to figure out that balance of how do we do it all and do it well?
2: It's a three-legged stool of program, administration, and fundraising. And as a CEO, I'm charged with keeping that stool level. So changes from Charlotte Rescue Mission to General Motors. Okay, you have program, administration, and sales or fundraising. So if I have great cars and lousy sales and I'm General Motors, what am I? Out of business. If I have lousy cars and great sales, what am I? Out of business. If I have great cars and great sales, but lousy accounting, lousy HR, lousy IT, lousy insurance, what am I? Out of business. And so the CEO is charged with making sure you have a great program, great administration, and great fundraising. Most CEOs get into this not because of fundraising, but because of program. And so the stool, the three-legged stool, is tilted. And very strong in program, enough administration to keep the IRS at bay. And they're clueless when it comes to fundraising. And they're constantly just trying to grab money from here, there. They do tons of special events. They don't engage their donors. And so you've got to look at each of these three legs. And, and, and again, if you take the development leg or the fundraising leg, that's also a three-legged stool of public relations, direct response marketing, and major donor work. And you've got to do all three. You've got to do good PR. Nobody knows who you are. You've got to have a tool for people to respond to you. But major donor work is where 80% of your revenue comes from. And I think a lot of nonprofits react. And as you were talking, Angela, I kept thinking of the model we use. is called the donor-centric model. So you have a donor who has a philanthropic need to impact their world and you have the resident at the rescue mission who needs to have their world impacted and this is the phrase i use all the time and the dating service is called charlotte rescue mission and we connect the donor with the resident at the rescue mission and we're just a dating service so if you ever look at my copy of the thank you letters it's never thank you for your gift to charlotte rescue mission you never gave to charlotte rescue mission you gave to the people we serve. So thank you for your gift to the men and women who walk through the doors of the rescue mission seeking help and hope. And rather than constantly reacting to and fundraising events and and car washes, um, nonprofits need to realize how they talk to their donors is you're really engaging them in life-changing work through this organization called Charlotte Rescue Mission.
0: So to your point, which I I think I agree with completely, is so many people in this work get in it for the programs, for the heart, for ministry, um, and they might not be as strong on the administration or fundraising side. And so you just shared some great ideas. Um, But if that's not your strong suit, how do you... How do you get a little bit more robust in those areas? Is it by hiring the right person? Is it by your board? What is the way you do that? I mean,
2: people look at and, and say, wow, well, you have a large development team. Let me take you back to 1996. There was one person. Mm. One person on the development team, and her and I tag teamed. She was really great at database analysis and that sort of thing, and I started writing the thank you letters. But what if your sweet spot isn't fundraising? then get involved with the Association of Fundraising Professionals. They have a mentorship program, and they'll have somebody that they'll assign to you to teach you all the aspects of fundraising. Nobody gets into this field because they want to raise funds. They want to impact lives, but raising funds is a part of it.
1: As we look forward post-COVID, everyone's starting to get a little more optimistic, which means that nonprofits and small businesses are getting busy, which is great. But we also know that um, distractions can masquerade themselves as opportunities. And uh, the danger is that we can just get going with busyness again and uh, and not stay focused on the mission. Uh, You've been doing this for a long time. And I would love to hear your kind of leadership, your vision for how do you discern between um, opportunity like good opportunity and um, things that are just a distraction. And how do you keep your staff focused on mission when there's a lot of uh, business that could just come? How do you discern those two?
2: There's a verse in first Corinthians ten twenty three, and I'm going to paraphrase it. So don't write me a letter, but it says all things are good, but not all things are helpful. All things are good, but I will not be bound by all things. And so there's a lot of things that can grab your attention and I think as the leader, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. So why do we exist? And you have to make sure that that's being communicated every single day and keep everybody focused on it. Um, there was a TED talk that we watched several years ago by Simon Sinek, Start With Why, and he talks about why does Apple phones, or why does Apple as a company exist? To challenge the challenge is status quo. That's it. Why does Charlotte Rescue Mission exist? One word, transformation. Um, If you can't, as a whether you're a for-profit or a non-profit or even a governmental entity, answer in three maximum four words why you exist, you're in trouble. And so we have it boiled down to one word. We exist for transformation. So, you know, all things are good, but not all things are lawful. And my job is to make sure we don't experience something called mission creep. You start here, and this is a good thing, and this is a good thing, and this is a good thing, and this is a good thing. And then a few years down the road, you're 12 miles away from where you were founded. And the CEO's job is to make sure those things are good. And those things may be good for the kingdom of God, but that's not why God called you into existence. And then you just get spread so wide that you take really excellent programs and make them good because you had to reallocate finances.
0: And so just as a as a follow-up on that, as you're keeping the people you're serving in front of you, as a leader sitting in this position as CEO, are there two or three questions you always ask yourself before making a decision to pivot as an organization?
2: I think it goes into mission creep. Um Back when I was in college, somebody gave me something to say, is it good? Yes. Is it good for the kingdom of God? Yes. Is it God's will? Yes. Is it God's will for you to do it? Ooh, I don't know. And I think sometimes as Christ followers, that's where we get in trouble. We don't ask the fourth question. Is it God's will for us to do? You know, as we've been looking at transitional housing, you know, everybody wants to get into it. But if there's other people doing transitional housing, why don't we do what we're really excellent at? and let them do what they're really excellent at, which is transitional housing. And we just collaborate and partner together. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're building a kingdom and say, look at all these programs and buildings that I have and I run and I lead. Aren't I such a wonderful person? And that happens in nonprofit ministry all the time. Instead of keeping the person in front of you and, and making sure that their life is being changed, their life is being transformed.
1: Yeah, Tony, I love the balance that you guys have here at Rescue Mission. I mean, you are innovating, you're being creative, you're envisioning uh, different ways of doing the same thing. You're staying anchored in in transformation, which is which is critical to to do that balance. So I commend you on uh, doing that for over 25 years here. And um, yeah, we love to see uh, the creativity that can continues to come out of here and, and the way you lead. We we love ending the podcast with just what we call a, a three two one question uh shorter questions to you but i think there's a lot of wisdom that we can still uh glean from you in this uh, brief moment and uh and so the the three part of the question is uh is about leadership and you've you've seen a lot of uh, great leaders in your 25 years you you manage great leaders um and you've seen great leaders grow out of rescue mission what are um three things that you have learned about leadership uh through your 25 years here
2: I think the three things are, number one is focus. You have to know why you exist as an organization, and you need to keep it on track. You know, Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem until the very end because he knew, this is my opinion, he knew that if he went, it would be his death and resurrection. He avoided it. You know, we talk about strategic plans, Jesus was incredibly strategic when he went to Jerusalem. Um, his focus, he clarified his why. We talked about that all the time. I I asked somebody this question, is this the gospel? Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we need to receive him as our Savior and Lord. And they went, yes. I go, no. That's two-thirds of the gospel. The first third of the gospel is God loves us. And Jesus did an incredible job. I don't know how to say this. I keep going back to the Simon Sinek TED talk. start with why. But Jesus' why is for God to love the world. His how is that he gave his only begotten son. His what is that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus did the why, how, and what in the gospel. And we don't tell people the why of the gospel. We don't tell people that God loves them. We just tell them that Jesus died on the cross. But Jesus was incredibly focused. I think the second thing is you have to have compassion about the people who serve alongside you are as, as important as the people you serve. You know, think about this, you know, Jesus warned Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed, and the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter looked at Jesus, and Jesus didn't say, well, I told you so. He didn't do that. And I think the third thing is tenacity. Failure is not an option. You know, when we were starting the cafe, I had a board member who says, what if we don't do this? I said, what are you talking about? Failure is not an option. I mean, you have to believe and persevere when you will face obstacles. You know, Henry Blackaby in the 80s and 90s wrote the book Experiencing God, and he talks about whenever you start to follow God, you you face a crisis of belief. Think about this. God told Moses to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't tell them there was going to be a Red Sea. In Numbers chapters 13 and 14, Moses sends Joshua and eleven other spies to check out the Promised Land. Joshua saw the city of Jericho. Forty years later, in Joshua, chapter two, uh, chapter one, I'm sorry, verse two, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people. And He's saying to him, Remember that city of Jericho forty years ago you saw? Well, guess what? You're going to take it down, and I'm not going to tell you how until you cross over the Jordan. We as Christ followers want to have all the answers and then step out in faith, and that's not what I see in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is God called Moses to leave Egypt. God called Joshua to step across the Jordan River, and it was only when he was in the Promised Land that God tell him how he was going to take the city of Jericho. So the third thing is tenacity. You've got to have it.
1: That's great. Um, the second part of the question is a little bit closer to home here. Um, not all, but a lot of our listeners are in the Charlotte area. You know Charlotte well. You've been here for a long time. Um, and there are uh, struggles that Charlotte is facing, both with COVID and now with the current protests going on. Um, but Charlotte is a city that is resilient and um, and has a lot of beautiful things about it. Uh, what are What are two kind of characteristics of charlotteans or the city that gives you hope that we're going to get through this
2: we've always been a can-do city we see a problem we attack it as a city you know when we were ranked number 50 out of 50 cities for climate out of poverty um we put together a task force and came up with some solutions and one of the issues that's um obviously very evident right now with the protests is the issue of racism you know and people are talking more about it and saying that We have to address it. Even going back to 07, the Roper study looked at 40 cities and said we were number two for church attendance and number 38 for racial trust. So we know that this is an issue we have to address as a city, and it has to go beyond just the protests. But we have to get to know somebody of a different race and get to understand what it means to be black in Charlotte.
1: That's great. Um, And the last part of the question, uh, what one book or one podcast uh most influences you and your leadership here at the Rescue Mission.
2: Okay, the book that I just finished reading was um by John Eldridge about prayer and just really enjoyed John's perspective on perseverance in prayer and just and I modified what he said, but is really going before the Lord in anguish and just saying, This isn't making sense. I need your answers. I need them right now.
1: Prayers definitely important, and uh, you know, as we leave here, what is there anything else you want to leave us with about the rescue mission, or where can people go to to find out more, or volunteer, or donate?
2: I mean, they can go to www.charlotterescuemission.org to find out how to donate. Um, let me leave you with a thought. Um, years ago, I came across the book "Managing the Nonprofit" by Peter Drucker, who's the father of modern management, and you know, Peter Drucker says that. For profits exist when they deliver a good or service, when the customer pays for it and the customer is satisfied. Government exists to establish a policy or regulation. But he went on to say that the nonprofit does not deliver a product nor establish a policy. Its product is a changed human being. And we are being challenged to think bigger than just feeding and sheltering and clothing somebody, but helping that person unpack just a lifetime of learned self-destructive behavior and allow them to see life so differently and how God truly intended them to see it.
0: I have uh, another question just as a follow-up. Um, you have, uh, what, probably 80, 90 staff here at the rescue mission between Dove's Nest and Rebound. Um, And as their leader, you are monitoring how they're doing. And this is such a tumultuous time. Uh, People are coming into work here, and there's stuff happening here and at home, and there's fears and anxieties and all sorts of different emotions. Um, What are, as someone who has a heart for ministry and a heart to shepherd people and care for people, what are three pieces of advice you would give To leaders of organizations right now, to either how they care for themselves or how they care for their people right now?
2: I think it's about caring for your people. Um, Years ago, I, I read the John Maxwell book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and he talked about how the night before a battle during the Civil War, that Robert E. Lee would walk to camps and talk to all the men that would be going into battle the next day. And oftentimes the next morning when they went to battle, that Robert E. Lee Never got a moment's sleep because you talked to all the men. And as we got into COVID-19, I went, all right, I have to change. So I found myself working seven days a week for the first month of it up until Easter. And then I couldn't keep up that pace. So I found myself working six days a week. And I wanted the staff to know that I'm here. I'm here with you. I'm not home watching Jeopardy in the safety of my house. I'm here. I'm right alongside you. I've been tested twice for COVID-19, and I had that nasty experience of the cotton swab up my nose and halfway into my brain, just like you know my staff had to go through. You have to be there with them, and it's that expression of showing up. And it goes back to when I used the word tenacity earlier about failure not being an option. You've got to find that inner strength to just persevere this because they're looking to you and saying, how are you doing? And whatever you're feeling, leave it in your car when you put it in park and step into the office. Any of your fears, your worries, whatever, because they can't come with you. They will pick up on your face. They will pick up on your apprehension. And if you're scared and nervous, they're going to be doubly scared and nervous. And you've got to show them that we're going to navigate this thing. and We're going to come through the other side. And I think there was a post somewhere that I read because somebody said a year from now when covid-19 is in the history books and we're reading about it i want to make sure i stood strong in the lord in how i walked through covid-19 and that really inspired me to say right god you know this is not fun this was not in my job description and truly managing covid-19 was like having another full-time job that's the only way to describe it if you don't complain you just have to get through it because a year from now you want to say, it was hard, but the Lord was there, and I leaned on him, and he never abandoned me, he never forsake me.
1: Well, Tony, thanks for sharing just a bit of your wisdom in these few minutes. We could have sat with you for hours, but uh, just continued blessings over the rescue mission and all the work that you do. So thanks for serving My pleasure. Well, thanks for joining us today. I hope today's episode was encouraging for you as it was for us. So be sure to join us for the next episode of the Atlas Leadership Podcast.